Hi, this is Rachel Sher, former Backlot Tour cast member, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 33 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. It's been about two months since the last episode. Part of that, as I've mentioned before, is just trying to schedule guests, but this time there was quite a bit more involved, and I want to briefly kind of let you in on what was happening. The short version is that a couple of days after the last episode was released, my mom went to the hospital. That's happened several times before, but this time was one of the more serious. So serious, in fact, that a little over a week later, my wife and I had to fly back to Branson, Missouri, where my parents and my aunt live. We arrived on Wednesday and got to see her for a little while. Then the next day we spent a bit more time with her, and then my mom passed away. Or as we prefer to say it, she graduated from this life into the next one, shortly before noon that day. Since then there's been all the administrative stuff that follows someone's death, as well as the grieving process, which is of course far from complete even now. We had her memorial service on May 19th, and after that, life has somewhat started to return to normal. Naturally, all of this put the podcast on the back burner for a while, and now I'm working on catching up the backlog, not only of podcasting, but all the rest of the things I do, too. So finally, you get a new episode, and that's why it was delayed. I appreciate your understanding. Today we get part one of a two-part interview with Lee Cockerell, the former Executive Vice President of Operations for the Walt Disney World Resort. Lee's also a speaker and the author of two books, Creating Magic, Ten Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney, and The Customer Rules, The 39 Essential Rules for Delivering Sensational Service. Lee had some very interesting times at the Walt Disney Company and has some great insights to share. Oh, I should also mention that we recorded this at 6 a.m. my time, so I still have my morning voice. In this episode, Lee talks about how he got started working for the Walt Disney Company, starting in charge of food and beverage at Disneyland Paris as it was opening, transitioning to hotels at Disneyland Paris, then moving out to Walt Disney World as Senior Vice President of Operations for the hotels, and then becoming Senior Vice President of Operations at Walt Disney World. How being in charge of one hotel differs from multi-unit management, besides the obvious. The most important thing any organization does, how to find the right people, tips and strategies for using time management skills well so you can be more productive, being in operations at Walt Disney World on 9-11, balancing caring for stranded guests and dealing with cutting costs to offset the dramatic decrease in business that followed 9-11, his work with the Disney Institute and how it changed over time what brought him to the end of his time working for Disney, and what he's been doing since then. Tips for those of us who are building a business as a public speaker. The first time he remembers thinking, I'm going to be doing something really different, really special. And what he thinks is the biggest difference between the Walt Disney Company and other companies. As you can tell, this is a pretty packed episode. 
Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and start this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by Jewelbeat.com And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Lee Cockerell is the former Executive Vice President of Operations for the Walt Disney World Resort. As a senior operating executive for 10 years, Lee led a team of 40,000 cast members and was responsible for the operations of 20 resort hotels, four theme parks, two water parks, a shopping and entertainment village, and the ESPN Sports and Recreation Complex, in addition to the ancillary operations, which supported the number one vacation destination in the world. One of Lee's major and lasting legacies was the creation of the Disney Great Leader Strategies, which was used to train and develop the 7,000 leaders at Walt Disney World. He's now dedicating his time to public speaking, authoring a book on leadership, management, and service excellence titled Creating Magic, 10 Common Sense Leadership Strategies from a Life at Disney, and his latest book, The Customer Rules, The 39 Essential Rules for Delivering Sensational Service. Lee also performs leadership and service excellence workshops and consulting for organizations around the world, as well as for the Disney Institute. Lee, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Good morning. Thank you. My pleasure. Tell me how you got started with the Walt Disney Company and what you did there, please. Well, I started my career back in 1965 with Hilton Hotels and worked for them for eight years. And then I worked for Marriott for 17 years and got recruited by Disney in 1990 to join them and to go to France to open the new Disneyland Paris project. Uh, they wanted I had a food and beverage background, so they uh, hired me to be in charge of food and beverage there. Sounds like a good area to be in charge of. <laughs> well, it is, and it was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. I was there for three years. Okay. Yeah, I know a lot of people who say that attractions are really just something to do between meals. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you had the the prime area there. Yeah. Okay, so you uh, opened your, your 
Disneyland Paris now is Euro Disneyland, I guess, when it opened. Um, and, and you did that for three years. Was that just like getting the operations developed and everything for the park? Or what went into what you did there at Disneyland Paris? Yeah, I was in the resorts, the six hotels, and in uh, the downtown Disney kind of place there. And uh, actually, for the first two years, I spent time developing the concepts with Dieter Hanning, who was our executive chef there, and also hiring people. I went all over the world hiring people that mostly spoke French, and uh, we needed about 225 managers for restaurants and uh, chefs and uh, you name it. And so did that and then uh, really worked on uh, the concepts and the training and then uh, got through the opening and I stayed uh, for about a year, a little over a year after the opening and uh, was eventually put in charge of all the hotels there and got out of food and beverage. So. That was uh, pretty much looking for great people was the first thing we had to do. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, now, when you transitioned out of food and beverage into hotels, is that something that you wanted to do that was uh, an area of interest to you, or is it just what the company needed and you were the person they needed to fill that? Well, at Marriott, I had been a general manager of a hotel, so I had run a hotel, so it was quite interesting to me that uh, to have responsibility for the all the hotels instead of just the food and beverage operation, and uh, I enjoyed that, and I was glad they picked me, <laughs> so <laughs> it was great, and it got, it got me to Disney World later. Okay, yeah, so tell me about how that uh, path happened. Well, uh, Judson Green made Al Weiss in charge of operations at Walt Disney World, and Al wanted somebody with a uh, strong operations background, and he called my boss in France and inquired about me, and I went to uh, Orlando, had an interview with Al, and he hired me, and uh, I stayed another few weeks in uh, France, and then uh, came to Orlando, and uh, let's see, I think it was May of... Uh, 1993 and started working there and worked for Al Weiss. I, at first I was the senior vice president of operations for all the hotels at Walt Disney World. And then about a year and a half later I was promoted to be executive vice president of all the operations at Walt Disney World including the parks and and everything else. So that worked out pretty well. Okay. Now when you worked for Marriott, uh, you were you in charge of one hotel or several? One hotel. Well, so you went from one to a few at uh, Euro Disneyland to quite a few at Walt Disney World. Yeah, and I think that worked because when I was in food and beverage, I worked at corporate headquarters for Marriott, so I kind of knew the whole multi-units. At one point, I was in charge of about 15 hotels for food and beverage and really got to understand how the whole hotel worked as we traveled to those places. So I'd had pretty big experience as understanding multi-units. Okay. So those two pieces sort of work together, the multi-unit experience from food and beverage and then the hotel operations from that side. Right, absolutely. Both sort of combined. Okay. just right. (laughs) (laughs) So what's different when it comes to uh, you know, being in charge of multiple hotels, aside from obviously there's more than one, but operationally uh, or even from your uh, strategy and approach to how you deal with them, 
how how do those differ? Well, certainly when I was a general manager of a hotel, I was the man. I was running the place. It was up to me to make sure everything was going well from the hiring to the execution of service to cleanliness to you name it. And when you have multi-units, you know, your main responsibility is make sure you're hiring great people and putting great general managers in place and then uh, trusting them to run the place and being there for them. So I would just make sure later on in my career you, uh, that I think the key thing, the most important thing any organization does is be careful who you hire and hire great people. Take your time. Don't hire too fast. And then let them manage the business. Don't try to micromanage them. And that's really how I uh, ran Walt Disney World. Uh, we put the right people in place and train them. Uh, they'll do a great job. So that's how I think about it. That makes sense. Yeah, I've heard it said, um, hire slowly and fire quickly. There you go. <laughs> that's even in my, that's <laughs> in my book, actually. I thought so. Yeah, I was just going back. I actually got your book, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. Yeah. But I got your book a few years ago um, and was rereading parts of it over this uh, Memorial Day weekend to kind of refresh my memory on it and I knew it sounded very familiar obviously it came from a great author yeah I don't know if it was in that creating magic book or in the uh, customer rules the new book but it's in one of them so okay gotcha now you went from the the hotels to Walt Disney World kind of as a whole what happened how did that come about and what changed like what added responsibilities and uh, areas of operation were involved in that then well, I think I got a little bit lucky. Al Weiss was the executive vice president. He was charged, and then he became president of Disney World after uh, and Judson became chairman. And uh, when Al became in charge of everything, he asked me to be in charge of the parks and downtown Disney and everything else. So he really supported that, even though I had never in my whole life worked in a theme park. Uh, I'd been to theme parks one or two times over the years, you know, as a, <laughs> as a guest, mm-hmm. but, uh, that he wasn't so worried about me knowing technically how to run a park as to really do the things I do best, which is get the right people in the right places and look, hire experts. You don't have to be an expert, but you have to hire them. And uh, so that's, he trusted me to do that. And I actually, I worked for Al Weiss for 13 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, we had a long okay. time together. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, and it sounds like, from what you were just telling me, that not necessarily knowing the nuts and bolts of the theme park operations wasn't terribly critical because, like you said, you knew how to find the people who did know how to do that, exactly. and then you managed them uh, and led them well. Correct. That's exactly how I think about it because, frankly, you cannot be an expert in everything. You've got to hire experts. It's way too complex these days. Oh, that's absolutely true. I could not agree more on that. <laughs> and even just one division of uh, parks and resorts operations for the Walt Disney Company is too much for one person to be able to to fully be an expert in, so much less covering all of the Walt Disney World Resort. Well, I tell people in my speeches, I said, now that I left Disney, I tell the truth. I didn't know what was going on half the time, but I had people who did know what was going on. So (laughs) that was my success. Right. (laughs) So now I'm curious, and this gets away from Disney for a little bit, but how do you uh, identify the right people? Like, is that something that has come naturally to you or is that something that you've learned how to do over time? I really learned how to do it. I was not very good at it early in my career. Most people are not. Uh, 
I really think more about having a very clear system and make sure you know what you're looking for when you're hiring somebody. And really the th three things I think about are making sure I hire the people with the right skill, uh, that they really are an expert, whether it's food and beverage, merchandise, uh, attractions, engineering, uh, you name it. And then look for people with a can-do attitude, you know, and I've developed questions about how to do that. Can-do attitude versus the can't-do attitude, kind of those trying to figure out who are the people that nothing stops them. No matter how hard the obstacle is, the barrier, they don't, they, they get it done. And the last thing I look for is passion, that they really want to be in food and beverage or they really love attractions or they really love uh, finance or IT, whatever that is. And developed a whole set of questions around uh, uh, making sure each question has an obstacle in it to see how people answer that. You know, tell the question might be, tell me a specific time you had to deal with an irate guest. You know, if you got five applicants, you ask that question to five people, they all answer it, and then you can start to see which ones go all the way. They might spend two or three days to turn a guest around, where the others might say, well, I worked on it for an hour and I couldn't do anything, and I had to move on. So we're looking for people who can overcome obstacles because we've learned that Every day, every one of us has a lot of obstacles in our life, and people who can overcome them with a good attitude just are better performers. And people who have excuses for everything actually believe those excuses. You know, they come to work late, they blame it on the traffic, uh, all the issues in life. So really developing a very good set of questions and then listening to the answers to see where, and I tell you, the best applicant always pops out. They, they just... They know how to just keep going until they fix it. Okay, great. Uh, from the sound of it, I'm guessing there's not like a list of questions that is sort of a standard for any position, whatever you're hiring for, just cover these questions. Uh, are there commonalities between them, or is it really unique for each area? Well, it's, it can be unique. Uh, I'm working with a lady now. We're developing a set of questions for hospitality, uh, for retail, for finance, for salespeople, they're, uh, they're different. IT would be a little different. And uh, really trying to think of what are the best six, seven, eight questions you would ask a person in that line, you know. In retail, you're going to ask a lot of questions about the customer and how to deal with that. Uh, or in uh, sales, uh, you may be asking, tell me a specific time when you got a no from a customer. Tell me how you handled that and what was the outcome. So, yeah, we try to zero in on questions that really fit the type of work uh, you're going to be hiring somebody to do. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Now, going back to what you were doing once you became the executive vice president for Walt Disney World, that encompassed everything, you know, all the operations at the parks and resorts, right? That's correct. Okay. As far as day-to-day, -day, was there any kind of consistency as far as your your own day-to-day -day work or was it very much of a um, either reactive or proactive getting in and uh, you know, different from for each day as as things occurred or new initiatives came through or whatever yeah you know I work I'm pretty disciplined I use my calendar to drive where I'm gonna spend my time so uh, in advance every month I blocked out a half a day or a full day to be in each park uh, to go to the hotels, to visit with the managers. Certainly, uh, when we had initiatives in place, I scheduled those meetings. You know, I really drive my whole uh, 
routine through my calendar and make sure I'm scheduling the right things, scheduling the priorities that I need to be involved in. And those are proactive. And then you have the reactive, 9-11, hurricanes, uh, you know, things that you wake up in the morning, don't expect, and they happen. And then for the next three, four, five, six, seven weeks, you're, 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 you got a different plan than you thought you were going to have. So you got to be kind of ready to do both. But I suggest to people to get more disciplined, get themselves a day planner, schedule their priorities in their life, be working on the things that will pay off later. And most people don't do that very well, and they need to do it better. Actually, I've been teaching time management for 35 years because this is a real weakness most people have. They don't have a very disciplined system for focusing on the right things. That's true. That's very true. Uh, Do you have two or three main tips uh, or strategies that you give people as far as how to develop or, if not develop, at least use well time management skills so that they can be more productive? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I tell people uh, when I only got a few minutes, I say, if you'll just get yourself a good planner and every morning before you start your day, think about yesterday first, what you didn't do so well, what you need to fix from yesterday, because we all on the way home think about things we should have done better. And write those in the planner and get those done. That Getting back to your boss on something you thought about at home last night that you want to tell him this morning about the meeting you had yesterday. And then the second thing I tell them, th- then after that, think about the responsibilities each one of you have signed up for in your life. Your family, your children, your career, are you, taking, are you getting into the right courses, are you taking the right seminars, your health, are you scheduling your exercise and workout, uh, your own personal development, are you scheduling those things and make sure you get them. Uh, there's a whole list uh, of things, both business and, and uh, in our private lives, that we need to be working on. Your retirement. Are you, do you have that nailed down? Are you going to get there on time? Are you going to? Are you doing the right things? Uh, are you getting your annual physical scheduled so you don't find out you have some illness you could have been cured if they'd have come in earlier? And just uh, your direct reports. Are you meeting with them and having those good discussions about the things they're doing well, the things they need to do better? So uh, if you think about those three things, it'll give you a good list of things to work on so that you don't get uh, a lot of regrets at the end of your life wishing you had done something. And uh, so a structured system really pays off for me. Every time I think of something I need to be working on, I write it down in, in my planner and then I, the odds go up pretty dramatically that you're going to get it done. So that's how I think about it. Okay. Good. You know, I think you're one of the few, if not the only person that I've heard when they talk about planning the day in front of you to start with looking at the day you just had. (laughs) Usually it's, you know, today's a new day and dive on in. And I I think it makes a lot of sense to say, no, let's look at yesterday first. Well, I tell people, what was left undone. Tell people, fix yesterday before it bites you, because I guarantee you we're so busy yesterday. You didn't do as good a job as you should have done in each area. So go back and see what you can do to make it better and then move on. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, and as you were describing that, you had mentioned uh, 9-11, and I didn't even put together until you said that, that you were actually there at Walt Disney World when 9-11 happened. Uh, what was that like, is operationally, but also just uh, kind of personally being in that environment and having something so you know, unimaginable happen? Yeah, it was pretty incredible. I was sitting in my office. I'd already planned my day. I had my day planner all scheduled and ready to go. My wife called me and said she just heard on the radio that a plane crashed in the World Trade Center. 
And, of course, we thought it was nothing, a little plane maybe. And I uh, went over to see my boss and talk about it. And we turned the TV on, and then the second plane hit. And uh, then the Pentagon. And then we, when the Pentagon got hit, we opened the command center, uh, started evacuating all the guests from the parks. We had everybody evacuated in about 90 minutes. And then we had to deal with that. People were stranded. And there were no cars left to be rented. Nobody could get out. No airlines. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. So we were over there taking care of the guests, and then we had to get into, start thinking about our own business. That day, 35% of our business declined uh, cancellations. Uh, people didn't want to fly, didn't want to travel. And uh, so we had to go to work on how to reduce costs. Uh, and that was a tough job. I mean, I think we were in a meeting room for three weeks, seven days a week till we got it fixed. And then uh, it was pretty good. By Christmas, business started to come back already, but people drove, nobody flew. So the park, mm-hmm. parking lots were full, and, and it was a tragic time. I mean, the tears and the people that were in our hotels from New York and New Jersey wanted to get back, and, uh, but the cast members just did an incredible job. So I was proud of them that day. Everybody stood up, did their job, uh, nobody panicked, uh, and we handled it very well. It was one of our best days, actually, how we handled everything. I'm sure. Yeah, one thing I've always been impressed with, and it's actually one of the reasons I started this podcast, was because of the cast members and the incredible job that they do day to day, but also when the uh, the very out of the ordinary happens, like 9/11 yeah. and other things like that. So it, now you, um, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm saying yeah, it's absolutely. At the end of the day, the this the cast members are the brand at Disney. It is amazing thing to watch them in action so uh, yeah it's great very proud of them they do a great job every day absolutely they certainly do um, now as you were describing that with 9-11 I heard two things that they almost seem to contradict each other as far as having to uh, maybe not contradict but maybe more like a paradox uh, as far as having to deal with them at the same time you've got all of these guests who are stranded there and so you're having to take care of them and that means food and beverage and hotel nights and keeping them uh, occupied and calm and things like that, which involves uh, cast members and uh, you know the labor force that's there uh, at the resort. But at the same time, your business just declined by 35% from cancellations and you have to cut costs. How do you balance those two things in a time of crisis like that? Uh, the only way you can do it is you get all everybody and all your team in the room. And uh, our direction was we were going to do it without laying anybody off, which meant we really had to cut deep. We even closed some hotels because uh, moved people to other jobs. Uh, it's uh, you know it's a balance. It's always a balance of taking care of the guests, taking care of the cast, and taking care of the bottom line. And, it's hard. It's not. It's an art. You just got to work through it and do your best. And hopefully, you think of those three things. And we did a good job. We did that. We took out the savings, and we did not lay one person off during that time. So, it, it, it was hard. I didn't even know. I didn't even think we could do it. But same old story. Disney people somehow <laughs> figure it out. <And laughs> people smarter than me were were in the room. And when you ask everybody's opinion and work on it include everybody and listen to them and respect their opinion, you come up with a lot of great ideas, and they did. Definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed at how Disney handled that actually at both coasts. Um, and, and then to be able to do all of that without laying people off is really impressive. Yeah, it was. So. And that was Al Weiss. He 
told us we're not laying anybody off. We thought he was crazy. We didn't think we didn't think we could do it, but uh, mm-hmm. it, I learned a good lesson that day. You can do a lot of things if you involve everybody. True. Yeah. Absolutely. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So now in the intro uh, that I we started with, I had mentioned the uh, the creation of the Disney Great Leader Strategies. Uh, could you tell me about that? Uh, kind of when it came about and what it is. Yeah, you know, I was frustrated. It was back ni- 1995, actually, and I was frustrated with not having all the leaders. You know, there's 7,000 managers at Disney World, and I just thought we needed them on the same page, and, and uh, we don't really have a document that explains exactly our expectations for leaders and their behavior and professionalism and, and things we need them to be thinking about besides just their job, uh, just the attraction, you know, processes, policies, uh, how we treat people. And uh, so I started working with a lady, and she interviewed me every week. We'd go sit, talk about things, and I talked about things I wished our managers would do. I talked about mistakes I'd made in my career, and she she kind of captured it all, and we developed this document. It became what we rolled out to all 7,000 managers, and it got everybody. It's kind of the playbook. Here's what leadership looks like at Walt Disney World. So when new people came into the company, we would go over that with them, Went over it with every manager, and really it was a uh, big success because, you know, it's kind of like a recipe. If you don't follow the recipe, you can't get the results. You can't leave out the yeast. <laughs> you can't leave out the salt. <laughs> you can't leave out the sugar, and you got to be consistent. And that really helped us all get on the same page and to be clear. You know, clarity is a big deal, to be clear with people because people will do a good job if you'll just be clear, clear with them. And that's sometimes our problem. We're not clear enough. Okay, great. Um, so that's basically a document that you developed over time and then had it as kind of the standard for for the managers that came in. Yeah. So 7,000 managers, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, I know people who live in towns smaller than that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, now, also, I had mentioned the Disney Institute. Did you start participating in that while you were still there, or is that something that happened after you left officially working for the company? It started back in the late, oh, I think probably 89, 90. They started thinking about it, 91, but it opened while I was there as a facility. And uh, Disney had been teaching courses about how they run the business leadership management and had called it, I think, the Disney Institute even back in the 80s, but it was kind of a small thing. And uh, once it became a place and, and it, it was supposed to be focused on individuals, couples coming to learn about wine or computers or something, that didn't work. So they started focusing it on business uh, conferences, business people coming 20 or 25 at a time, and that really took off. And uh, so we were involved in running that, and uh, I was involved, and I was a speaker quite often. And even today, I have a contact with Disney Institute. I speak on their behalf around the world. So I um, do do speeches for conventions coming into town and things like that. So, yeah, I've been highly involved in it, and uh, they do a great job. Okay. What are your primary areas that you speak on for it? Actually, I give uh, – on my website, I have a whole list of seminars I do, and I do one on leadership, and one is uh, titled You You Can Create Magic Too, and I take people through that. I have a, you know, one-hour keynote speech, an hour and a half. I have a half a day workshop. I have a full day. I have a two-day. I have clients where I do a two-day workshop on leadership, management, and customer service. 
Uh, I do a time management seminar. I get hired to do that fairly frequently. Uh, so I just I do one on healthcare, how to create magic in healthcare, patient you know patient care, hmm. and how nurses can do a better job and some of the things they can do to be better at patient care and better how hospitals could improve their patient satisfaction scores and stuff like that. So I kind of have a whole list of things I do for all kinds of industries. Yeah. Do you have one or two favorite ones that you do? Yeah, I think I like the one where it's titled "You You Can Create Magic Too" because I, you know, the first line in my book says it's not magic; it makes Disney World work. It's the way we work. And the way we work is we hire great people, we train them, we're clear about our expectations, we're fanatical about attention to detail, and any company can do that. It's a matter of whether you want to wake up in the morning and do it. And uh, I think that enlightens a lot of companies to think they can be a lot better. And usually the reason they're in trouble is they don't hire the right people. They don't do a good job training. They're not clear. They, their leaders are not uh, showing enough clarity and expectations. They're not enforcing their policies. And so that's a big eye-opener for them. And they like that. So, and when they like it, I like it because then they pay me. <laughs> right. So what was it that brought you to the end of your time at the working for the company officially and then transitioning out to now contracting with the Disney Institute and doing your speaking and things? Well, a couple things. One, people say, why'd you retire? I said, well, the first reason is because I could. <laughs> so <laughs> I was very frugal. But uh, the real reason I'd worked for 41 years, I just thought, you know, that's enough. I've been in the same mm -hmm. job at Disney for 10 years. You know, it's time somebody else did this. I was able to financially retire. I wanted to do more. I wanted to do different things. I wanted to write a book. So I got an agreement with Disney if I retired that Disney Institute would sign me on to do speeches, uh, that they would support me writing a book, which they did, and let me put Disney Institute on the cover, which was great. And then mm -hmm. I'm just having a lot of fun. Now I travel all over the world. I give speeches. I meet a lot of interesting people. And, you know, 41 years is enough. And I, I wanted to go do something on my own and have some fun. And my wife travels with me, and we're having a good time. I meet a lot of great people. I go to South Africa, Sweden, UK this year. I got hired by the South African government to do customer service training for them. I mean, it's just I never know what's coming up next. Just did some work for Bank of America last week. Um, it's just churches. I do a lot of churches. It's unbelievable. So who would have ever thought? But everybody's got the same problem. They're trying to improve their service so that their customers or members of the church come back and, and they stay relevant. And I try to teach them how to do that. And uh, The good thing about what I do is everybody knows about Disney. Everybody respects Disney. And most people have been to Disney. So when I tell them how great we do, they, they know because they've been there. And so what they want to do is how do we do it? And I try to teach them how we do it so they can go back and implement that in their own company. Okay, great. And, you know, I think that what you're doing now, there's probably some people who would wonder when you're going to retire from that, but <laughs> I could see how what you're doing now is retirement. Yeah, it's uh, not really work. You know, I don't even have to prepare for these programs. I talk to the CEO or somebody a couple times, and then I, I know what they want, and then I go do it. So it's not like I have to sit and work on it and get ready. It's just fun. Somebody says, why yeah. do you do it? I said, I love the applause. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of refreshing honesty. You know, sometimes 
especially for professional speakers, you'll ask them, why do you do it? And they say things like, well, I, I want to help people or I want to make, I want to see lives changed or I want to see this improve. And I'm sure all of those things are true. But for those of us who also speak professionally, publicly, there is a certain satisfaction that comes from the applause at the end. Absolutely. I mean, I love it. And uh, frankly, uh, it is fun that people write you back later and say it really helped. Or, I saw my people change. It's helped us. We got our, we're doing, that's great. And it's a lot of fun. And, you know, it's, this is like my golf game. I, I could play golf or I could do this. This pays better. So, uh, <laughs> And uh, that's, you know, something to do. What are you going to do if you retire? You can't lay on the couch and watch TV all day. You'd be dead. So uh, it's just something. And I have a lot of time off, too. And uh, so I get weeks where I have nothing. And I do four or five a month, maybe, sometimes more. Uh, I take off the month of June. Uh, got time off in the holidays in November, December. And so it's perfect. Because the weeks I don't have anything, I'm bored to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, did being able to do this speaking around the world develop out of uh, contacts and things that you made through the Disney Institute, or how did you, you know, how did you get to a point where you had all of these companies and organizations and things calling on you uh, to come speak for them? Yeah, I kind of had a plan. I put first a, developed a great website. I have a guy who developed it for me. I worked with him. I wrote all the content, put up a website first. I do a blog, so I get 10, about 10,000 followers. Come back every week to look at my blog posts on how to be a better leader, a better manager, how to customer service. And then uh, when you get the book out, that really helps a lot because the last page of the book promotes my business. Uh, doing work for Disney certainly helps. And it kind of takes on a life of its own. You know, you go speak to a group. I was spoke to a group the other day. There were 2,000 people in the room, and they were all from different companies. So after that, I hear back from different people in that room that want to hire me for their company. And so it just, mm -hmm. word just gets around. And, you know, with the Internet today and a website, you, I hear from people all over the world. So it's easy to promote yourself that way. Right. Yeah, so it's great. Okay, good. Yeah, that's something that I'm working on developing for myself and, and trying to, you know, build a speaking business. Right. So, you know, I'm glad to hear and that. And I will tell you, if you want to get going, get your content down really well. I did a lot of free ones in the first, you know, public schools, speaking to high school kids, churches, uh, nonprofits, just for practice and get your name out there because in nonprofits, there's a lot of people sitting there on the board that are CEOs of companies. And uh, so you get exposure. Or if you speak to high school students, they go home and tell their parents and the teachers. And I mean, it's, so I did it a lot just to get practice and to get my content right and to, to, to get my name out there, too, in the beginning. Okay. Good. That's really good advice. Um, now, when you worked for Disney, was there a certain time where you remember thinking for the first time, you know, I'm doing something really special here. This is different than anything I've done before. Well, Disney, you know, uh, when I got recruited, I uh, went home and asked my wife, I said, what do you think? They want to hire me. She said, Lee, let's go. I, <laughs> I said, why? She said, For, if you don't do this, in five years you're going to have regrets that you had the opportunity to live in Paris, work for Disney, and they were going to pay you. And she said, let's go do this. <laughs> and it was the best advice I ever got because it is a special company. Marriott was great, and Hilton was good. But 
I mean, it, Disney's really special. You know, I tell all my old friends at Marriott, I said, the parents don't tell their kids when you get older, I'll take you to Marriott. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a special place in the, in the hearts of people around the world. And in fact, one lady said to me, Lee, can you imagine the world without Disney? And I said, you know, that's a good point. And so it's really special because, I, I mean, I mean, it's pretty cool to say, when I say, people say, what do you do? I say, I, I ran the Operation Walt Disney World. Man, they are impressed. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew it was special. And then to see the, you know, the families and the kids that just light up when they come there. I mean, it's like the best thing that's ever happened to them. And you got to feel good about working in an organization like that where 99% of your guests are happy every day. Definitely. Absolutely. So it was great. That was the best thing that ever happened to me going to Disney. Good. Um, obviously, there's a big difference, like you were just touching on. But what would you say is the uh, biggest difference between working for the Walt Disney Company and other companies that you've worked for? Is it the brand recognition and the happiness that people have, or is there something else about it? Well, that's a part of it. But for me, it was how you have to think about putting on a show, the entertainment side. I, mm. I wish I'd have known that when I was at Marriott, I would have done things better. I would have been more focused on making sure the, the excruciating attention to detail and making sure every employee knew their script and what they could say and what they shouldn't say. And that whole performance thing for me, that is the key. It, it's a entertainment. And uh, even that's what I tell companies today that I work for. I don't care what company you're in, you're putting on a show, whether it's at Subway or McDonald's or uh, Bank of America. You're putting on a show every day. The big red curtain opens, and you need to be ready, and you need to hire the right actors. You need to rehearse them. You need to make sure you direct them. And uh, at the end of the day, every customer walks in, comes out, and says, wow, what a great job they did. I want to go back there. That was a great show. And that's what I learned at Disney. Interesting. Okay. Do you ever get much in the way of pushback at companies when you present these things as you're putting on a show? Do they ever say, no, this isn't a show. This is, you know, a bank or yeah. a hotel or whatever. You know, we're not doing a show. No, I don't get any pushback. I'm a pretty forceful presenter. <laughs> and and uh, by the time I explain it to them, I don't use PowerPoint. I don't use any presentation materials. I just, and the reason I do that is I can be on my feet. Things aren't going exactly where I want them to go. I can change my presentation. I can get it. I can deal with that comment from the audience. I can stop and let the audience participate when they want to. So I uh, have it pretty loose and pretty open, and uh, I never get any issues. I, I've never had one thing. I've done about 275 of these since I retired, and I would say I've never had one issue with anybody, and it's always because they get it. We all have the same problems. Mm -hmm. you know, we want to be great, and the way you're great, you have a great product. Then you got to hire great people, then you got to do great training, and then you've got to be clear about your expectations. You got to hold people accountable. Everybody, I don't care whether it's the army, hospital, subway, sandwich shops, gas station. If you do those things well, you'll make more money. You'll do better. You'll have better outcomes. And it's a, it's that simple. It's nothing new out there in the world. It's people like to think they're different. No, nobody's different. Everybody's got the same issues. Yep, absolutely. So I just tell them they're not different, so don't even tell me that. So then they don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear it. 
<laughs> as good an approach as any, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds pretty effective. And they believe me because I'm old and I've been around. You know, I tell them I'm a grandfather. You got to believe me. <laughs> That's I know, right. I know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> While you were working for the Walt Disney Company, either Euro Disney or um, Walt Disney World, what was the biggest challenge or challenges that you faced while you were there? Well, the first challenge was coming in as the new guy. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures, and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort, or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www. Talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a Mickey, Mickey day. day. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Lee Cockrell for being my guest and to you for listening. Next week we'll have part two of Lee's interview. I'll be on vacation the week after that, but I'm still going to try to have ready for you part one of an interview with a former Disneyland Jungle Cruise skipper. Hopefully that'll be up the following week. But if not, it won't delay than one more week. Unless another family emergency arises, and I very much hope that doesn't happen. If you've worked for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity and you'd like to share a positive story, please email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY, anytime, 24 hours a day. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let's talk. If you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or if you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, I'd love to hear from you, too. Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734 734- Two, three story and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. Those ratings help make the podcast more visible so it's easier for people to find. Please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash stories of the magic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic. Finally, this episode has been brought to you by Leaving Conformity Coaching. If you're looking for more joy, passion, and purpose in your life, let me help you break free from your limiting, performance-based natural identity and embrace your supernatural kingdom identity. In fact, I've just released a new free video series about that very thing. Please check it out at storiesofthemagic.com identity. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days, 
and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.